that's why it's great that now we're like in this same realm of like we're all working together on these on-track nights i'm like okay that feels good like if, if we're in that same realm we're doing well it's more like who won't be there i truthfully believe we're gonna have the majority of the european and, and american running world at this early season event even if you're a peripheral fan you start to go okay i've heard too much about this these people have been going talking a lot we i gotta watch this hey my name is jesse williams founder of sound running you are listening to the big run podcast welcome back to the big run we have some incredible conversations and in the field reporting coming up over the coming days and weeks to get you primed for ons track nights a series of events where fast times meet loud crowds to create a unique experience for the entire running community. You can find out more at ontracknights.com and be sure to catch up with our trailer to give you a taste of what's in store on the show. This week, we'll be building the anticipation for the first event, Trackfest, which takes part in LA on the 6th of May. On today's episode, we chat with the founder of Sound Running and the main man behind Trackfest, Jesse Williams. Jesse is a runner himself with a 2.22 marathon PR, a career in sports marketing and a sideline in hand modeling. In this conversation, we learn how Sound Running began, what you can look forward to at Trackfest and how they are building an experience-driven professional track season. Let's get into the interview. So, Jesse, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Really excited to to get to know a little bit more about you and get to know a little bit more about this event, which is rapidly approaching. This podcast will be going out in the week leading up to the to the track fest. But I'm just going to park that to one side for one minute because I was doing my due diligence researching you prior to this uh, interview, and something cropped up on the on the website that's attached to your event, and it said that in a former life you were a hand model. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, it was my, uh, well, it's what I used to tell people when you got the cliche, what do you do for a living? And it was really hard to explain that I was in this running industry and that we did all this because I think a lot of people don't realize there's this vast sport that people follow. It's not the football, basketball, you know, of the world. And so I, that was my go-to answer was I was a hand model. And <laughs> And surprisingly enough, uh, there are people that to this day still believe that was my occupation. Really? Which means I, I sold it in really well. <laughs> Do they occasionally <laughs> just sort of like, you know, when you if there's a handshake, they maybe sort of take that little bit Oh, extra. they touch my hand. And for some reason, maybe I need to do more manual labor. I did when I was getting, but I have really soft hands. <laughs> so they, they, the hook, line, and sinker is if they actually do reach out and try to touch my hand. Um, <laughs> not anymore. I'm too, I'm too old for the soft hands. But uh, no, it's, uh, you'd be surprised how many people bought it, hook, line, and sinker. So yeah. Uh, I love it. Former occupation one way or another. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Keeping up that moisturizing routine just to keep the kind of yeah. the, the sort of lie perpetuating. That's brilliant. Well, absolutely. So hand modeling uh, aside, um, if anyone is is listening, I mean, I just caught a brief glimpse of uh, of Jesse's uh, hands and they do look delightful. So if you are thinking of <laughs> casting him in any, any campaigns, do get in touch. But putting that to one side, Talk to me about the the creation and the thinking behind Sound Running. When did the idea for it start and when did you kind of commit to it full time? Because previously you'd worked in marketing within the kind of sports industry. So 
when did you kind of decide to take the leap and start creating something of your own? Yeah, uh, it was 2000, I think, 18 when Sound Running started, and I had left another company and had decided to take a year off, and I had moved, and I just started to kind of start over and, and give myself a chance to kind of be creative and think of what was next. And um, surprisingly, it took me a long time to get to where Sound Running ended up being, which is uh, mostly an event-driven, experience-driven company it's centered around the sport of running. Um, we do a couple other things, but that's you know where our, our center is. But it started actually as we were going to do training plans and build better training plans. I used to work with elite athletes, and I saw the way they were coached and how they prepared for an event. And I just thought, well, outside of you know higher mileage and obviously genetic gifts, um, why couldn't everybody prepare this way? Mm. You know, whether you're preparing for the local 5K or uh, the next marathon or half marathon, why why aren't people preparing better? Why isn't there better training options out there? And so we launched training and you know marketing around that. We didn't have like a startup budget or anything, and so. Um, we were looking for other ways to market what we do in the training aspect. And so there was, in, I don't know if you remember, in 2019, uh, world championships were in Doha. And it was really late. It was like late September. And so it was a month later. And so that means all of the other national championships were a month later. So U.S. championships were late July instead of late June. So there's this humongous gap in the calendar um, where there was like a month where there were no meets in the U.S., but people were trying to prepare for the U.S. champs, and I'm sure it was happening everywhere. And so being in Southern California, we did our first event, and I just it started with basically a couple of texts and a couple of emails to the agents and coaches that I'd known um, from my former job, and all of a sudden we had a full event, and it was really good. And I, it, as soon as we were maybe a week into planning that first event, I was like, okay, this is what we're gonna do. This is this is sound running. I always complained that there weren't enough there weren't enough about options domestically here in the US. There just weren't, especially during the summer. And a lot of the options weren't even professional options. They were you run in a college meet or you you know, or you go to Europe because you have to go to Europe or, you know, early season you go to Asia. And so um trying to fulfill uh those needs on the calendar is kind of where where we began. It's interesting you you say that word complain then. I think there's a lot of people out there maybe who vocalize about things that maybe need to be kind of improved within the sport to push it forward, but I'm curious to know what that shift is from someone who's maybe had opinions or comments from the sport from the sidelines to actually kind of putting your hat in the ring and being like okay, I'm going to I'm going to stick my neck out here and and try and make something to to be the change. Yeah, I was definitely one of the people com- complaining. I still complain about the other pieces of the sport and, and even within our sport. But um, I would say a couple things, you know, one, I feel stronger that I get to complain more if I'm at least trying to, to fix and to be a part of the solution. But also I realized, yeah, there's a, there's a reason why things are broken in track and field, at least here domestically. And it's harder to fix than I think people realize. But you have to start somewhere. You have to build. You have to, and I think there's good models of how to fix it. And it's a big, overwhelming puzzle. But uh, yeah, we have to be part of the solution. I guess is the way I look at it. And it's been baby steps. I mean, we started. We had really grand plans. 2020, uh, we had the 
you know, this vision of kind of where we are right now, but for 2020. And then, you know, we got hit with COVID and it just became, okay, can we have a meet? Mm. Can we at least try to get people qualifying times? Can we do a meet safely? And I feel like we're just now being able to execute 2020 vision. Mm. Um, it sounds funny. It's three years, but it, it really took that long. It seems like we lost time, but I'm also thankful for that time because we learned a lot. Mm. What have you learned? Well, we learned that one of the cruxes here in the U.S. is facilities. And the facilities became even harder during COVID, you know. And so we, be, we really established some great relationships and we made some plays that I think help, will help us in the future. Um, we learned a lot about streaming and partnerships and how that works and try to put money back in the athlete's hands. We've, we've learned a lot about the sponsorship side of it. Um, and then I think what we've gained is we've gained a lot of, I guess, at least notoriety and support from the athletes because, because we took care of them during COVID. We kind of carved out a niche mm. where um, now they trust us and they come to our events and they use us, um, whether it's, you know, they're going for a qualifying time or they're in really good shape and they want to trust that they're going to have a, you know, a good opportunity. You know, it sounds funny, but there just weren't that many professional opportunities mm. um, where it was set up specifically for that. There were plenty of opportunities uh, for people to race. It just wasn't the professionalized version of that. And I think we're at the right place, right time for that. I think ironically, COVID helped us a little bit. Mm, that time to sort of really kind of take stock and look at what it was that you actually needed to put that event that you had in your mind into into reality and kind of make that kind of happen. And when you were when you were like creating it and building it and taking this time, were, were there other events that you were kind of you were looking to in terms of inspiration? Had you seen other events ar around that thought there, there are elements that have kind of inspired you to incorporate in, into into the kind of events you were wanting to produce and make? Yeah, absolutely. I I've said it several times, and I'm I'm fine saying it that we have an event we did um, where you know we saw the British and American records in the ten thousand meters. And it's called the 10 and it is 1000% a replica or a knockoff or a tribe at the night of the PBs. And it's because we saw that and we're like, okay, well, obviously uh, it's an amazing, the timing of that meet and everything, like everything they've done with that and what they've tried to make it as far as like entertaining product, not just a night. And they've tried to take an event that people have kind of said track and field, uh, it's too long, you know, it's whatever. They've decided to make that a focal point of the meet. And I loved that. I thought like they did a great job of spanning community all the way to professional. And then I love that they're just trying new things every year. And that's what we always want to do is we never like wanted to be like, oh, that meet was pretty good. Let's do that again this year. It's like we, we want to take it to the next level. And so that's definitely a meet we've looked at for years. And, and we, you know, basically have an early, early season version of that here in March. It's like usually the first weekend in March. So people are coming off an of indoor season and if they're fit, they try to hit that 10K standard and then take their time off is generally what's been happening. And so that started during COVID. It started as a like, I think a six or seven person time trial, both on the men's and women's side that we did. And uh, ran really fast. And then the next year we said, well, are people interested? Would we do that again? And we had full fields and broke records that, that year as well. And then this year it went, yes, yeah, so I think firmly established that. And that was a complete 
inspiration slash, you know, knockoff of uh, the night of the PBs. That's why it's great that now we're like in this same realm of like, we're all working together on these on track nights. I'm like, okay, that feels good. Like if, if we're in that same realm, we're doing well. Mm. And I, I, I love you totally owning that. And I think knockoff, I think is, is, is doing it disservice. I think because everyone's inspired by everyone else. And I think like that, that we talk about this expression, good, good for the sport. Like that, is is fundamentally like good for the sport in action is the is the ripple effects of seeing something and being like what if i could replicate that in my area in my field and what would be the knock on and ripple effects for the athletes and i think the athletes that's a really important focus to kind of land on because you were you were talking earlier about carving out this this niche to kind of draw the athletes to you like what are the the fundamentals that you think have to be in place to kind of attract the fields that you clearly have attracted. I mean, if we look at your event last year, it's like the Oscars of athletics, like some of the names that you, you had that towed the line in the event last year. So what what are the kind of key fundamentals you think that's going to get athletes to turn up to, to your events that you put together? I go back and forth on this a little bit because I think we've talked to different people, whether it's sponsors or other meet directors, and they're like, how do you get everybody to show up? And I'll put a lot of um, credit into the fact that we're in Southern California. It's not hard to convince people to come to Southern California. We have very, very good weather for distance running. So like people will be at the track in the pre-meet the day before. And during the day, it'll be 75, 80 degrees here. And it'll be beautiful. At night, though, it gets cool. And generally, we have no wind. And it's perfect. And so people can run, even in the dead of summer, it'll still get cool enough at night to run well. But in the spring, when we do most of our events, it's almost perfect. I mean, we got a little bit of drizzle rain at the end of those uh, 10,000s. And it was, I mean, it still didn't affect anything. So I would say we've been very lucky to have those things in our backcourt. On top of that, I think part of what I mentioned around the agents and the athletes and the coaches trusting us. And if you've come here and you've gotten your PB before, or you've hit your bonus, which is a lot of how these athletes are making money is hitting their bonuses, or you've gotten your qualifier, our location also of being, you know, where we are in relation to the altitude. So Flagstaff is where people from around the world go to Flagstaff. And I honestly think, you know, some of the big names that have come internationally to our event, it's due a little bit to that. They go to Flagstaff. Everybody else they see there is going to LA for this meet. Okay, now we're going. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple things working for us. Um, and then once you get those things that help you out of the gate, then it becomes, well, now that meet is known for being this level. And we've been lucky enough. We've had some sponsors get behind us. We're able to also make sure that these athletes are getting uh, prize money and the valuable world athletics points, which is also another thing that came out of those last three years where the structure of our sport is very different with those points really taking value and events realizing if we don't have those, it's it's tough to compete on that level. That's super interesting, I think. And, you know, your event along with uh, along with Ben's over in, in London as well has this this world athletics. Yours is the, the, the bronze level. And I think that's... Uh, it's really interesting. And I think it's really interesting, particularly for people who perhaps aren't familiar with what it actually means and, and how it works. Because I think, again, going back to this thing of like good for the sport and how do we draw more people in? I think always that knowledge is 
knowledge is power and understanding what that means and why it's important for the athletes is is really key for for audiences tuning in and spectators so that they can understand what's at stake for the people who tow the line. So, I mean, it's, a, it's quite a big question, but what what does it kind of mean? Can you give like a sort of succinct overview of what it means and why it's important for the athletes this this athletic level that is attributed to your event? Yeah, it's um it so the points are so important now and I I I guess it's one of the things world athletics is doing that I fundamentally understand. I still think like there's kinks in it, but like it, the fundamental idea of they're trying to give levels to these meets and trying to establish kind of this circuit that all ladders up to one thing. The points are super valuable. I know for not only for some federations, it's how uh, the federation divvies up like insurance, health insurance is how they divvy up um whether you get this level of support or that level of support, I know there's bonuses built around it um, in athlete contracts. I know that in certain federations, it's how you make an Olympic or a world team or not is, is are you in the top 15 and how'd you get that? And it also does something that's huge in our sport, which is it, it de-emphasizes running fast and it emphasizes more of head-to-head racing. And so a friend of mine put on an event indoors and, you know, he, he was saying that his me indoors, a guy ran 339 in the 1500 and the equivalent of running 339 points wise at his silver level indoor meet was running 332 at a non, uh, at a non-labeled meet. And we know how rare 332 would be, mm. but 339 is is not rare at all. Mm. There's hundred, you know, at the end of the year, there'll be hundreds of people that have run in that range. And so it shows you how big they're weighing that. And for the future of the sport, I think there'll always be fast times. There's always going to be meets that are set up that way. And it's always going to be very attractive and there's always going to be bonuses, but it really does emphasize the win and it emphasizes um, creating a little bit more formal structure for our sport that, you know, people can follow you know, think of golf or some of these where you can look up someone's ranking year round and see where they are. And I have friends that follow that and they, they're always looking how it's updated and whatever. Mm. And I, I can see that being a part of our sport if we get this dialed in a little better. Mm, absolutely. And it gives people, yeah, like you say, it gives people that purchase so they can see, they can quantify, you know, where an athlete is over the, over the course of the season. But just flipping it slightly on its head, because we're kind of talking about the kind of the top tier elite sort of sharp end of, of athletics right now. I mean, in terms of you and, and your event, you do obviously cater to the elite level athletes, but are you also thinking about bridging that gap between sort of community as well? And like, is that something that you're kind of conscious of, of the, the, the ripple effects of an event like that to a runner who thinks like, okay, I'm never probably going to run 339 for a 1500 meters, but I am inspired and I'm excited about that sport. And maybe I want to try some track running for myself this summer. We have, we've done a couple of things where we've really tried to, so we try to span the whole area where there's the main event, which is the, the top section of every race, the top steeple, the top 800, whatever it is, you know, and, and then we try to have the next level the people trying to get into that top heat, the second, third, and fourth sections, which sometimes are also full of Olympians just running an off event. Um, so we've some of those races have ended up being some of our most talked about races because, you know, a silver medalist in 800 is running their first 1500, but they didn't want to, you know, they're in the third section. 
And I think it leaves room for that, but it also leaves room for people trying to get to that next tier. And most sports have that. Um, and then there's the community piece. And the community piece, I would say, has been harder, done some things that have been successful. We get clubs together and we've done like a club relay and gotten a bunch of clubs out locally. Um, and I think having established that, it's been easier to get people to come out to community stuff. Early on, I think because of our success or because people were running fast, the community was like, oh, that's so different. That's like us trying to play in the major leagues and we're mm. not going to. And we've been able to show them like, no, 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 no. There's like, we have a piece of our event that's for you. And then like, but we want you to come to this and to stick around for the main event. So how can we, how can we give you a piece of this and make you part of it? And I wouldn't say we've, totally figured that out yet, but it's definitely part of every event we do is how do we get the community to be part of it? And not just how to just show up and be a fan, but how do they feel like they have some investment in what we did and can they run a race or can they, you know, aspire to something? Absolutely. I love that. I love that. And in terms of that, th that idea of, of, of sticking around, I mean, the entertainment and the atmosphere is like obviously a, a huge kind of component of that. And I'm conscious that the the second word in your, the name of the event is fest festival. Like, so what are the kind of things you're thinking of in terms of that for, for this year's event? It's on the website described as sort of track meet meets music festival. Are, are we thinking kind of Glastonbury or what's the kind of the, uh, the American, <laughs> is it Coachella kind of vibes? Like what, what are we thinking for, for 2023? Oh man, I hope it has Coachella vibes. It will, we will keep people away um no it's the idea is that if, if i go to a basketball game or any other major sport uh basketball game is 48 minutes a pro professional basketball game but there are cheerleaders there's, there's in between there's a halftime show there's this jumbotron there's all these games there's food there's drinks there's there's a million things going on just to keep your attention for the non 48 minutes right and even during those 48 minutes there's the production of it all track tries to just rest on being track and all these other sports that are intuitively like very exciting second by second are not resting on their laurels of just the sport and track for some reason just hasn't been trying to do that um night of the pbs being one of the only examples of some of a group trying to do something for the in between and you know for us we have food trucks which are free, which is crazy. They're subsidized by one of our sponsors, which is amazing. On running is is taking that on. We're gonna have a beer garden. We have a track fest mascot. We're gonna have the wave light technology there, which is great, great for spectators. I, I didn't realize at first. I never. I didn't care. I was talking to uh, the owner of the wave light tech, and I I I remember thinking, I need pacers. I don't need um, the lights it is a game changer for fans being able to follow the race and to understand. And it doesn't always have to be a record. It can be a qualifying mark or it can just be a, you know, an arbitrary mark. The wave light will add so much to the fan experience. Uh, we have a big, the stadium's beautiful. So there's this big jumbotron screen that we're going to be able to really do a lot with, you know, a lot of surprises. And then we have a very like special musical act that we'll be announcing in the next couple of weeks here. So um, we're really really excited about bringing that into the fabric of the meat it's not an also thing it's like woven into the fabric of the meat we want it to be the seamless kind of product and so we're really excited to do that and to have that 
is a completely different thing from any of our events. We always have a DJ, music is going the entire meet, but we've never had like a live performance. So we're really excited about that piece. And just speaking of those events, I mean, because you've got a lot within within the meet, 800, 1500, steeple, 5,000, 10,000. Like for, for you as a fan, as a runner, I mean, would one be your desert island race if you could only watch one of those? Could you could you choose a favorite or is it like deciding between your children? Is it just too hard? Um, I was surprised last year which events end up being um, the most exciting. I mean, last year, all the buzz built around the men's uh, 5,000 because two weeks out, we added uh, Jakob Ingebrigtsen to the field, which by the field by itself was already the most talked of field of the meet just because... We had a couple guys going for the NCAA collegiate record. We had a huge international group of people. We had a bunch of the athletes running, you know, trying to run new PRs in. So we knew that like all those things together made for a really exciting race. We had Josh Kerr, who was a, you know, 1500 medalist doing his 5k. So we had all these cool pieces where we're like, all right, in the 5,000 meter, we have the Olympic gold medalist, Olympic bronze medalist, but they're running the 5,000. That ended up being the most talked about race, but on paper, one of our more successful races was the women's 800 where there were a couple girls under 159 and, you know, six or seven under two minutes. And it was at the beginning of the meet. So it kind of just was like a really nice kickoff. So this year, if I was looking at early fields only because I trust uh, the 1500s are always Everybody wants to run fast, and then who knows if somebody's actually going to go at the pacer. Um, <laughs> the 5,000s, I think both men's and women's 5,000s, I think will end up being pretty interesting uh, really fast. But we haven't had a steeple at this meet before because the facility we used to use didn't have a steeple uh, barriers or set up. And so I'm excited to add that to the meet. And I think with the pre-classic not being an early spring option and moving to the end of the diamond league circuit, it opens us up to really potentially have some great steeple fields um, for people needing that. Uh, so we're really excited of that. I, I know the 5,000s are going to be really good again, early entries. You know, the unfortunate thing is we don't get early entries. Uh, people enter probably the last month. So, you know, from now till the day of the meet, our entries will go crazy, but, the stuff I've seen early and the conversations I've had with coaches and athletes is that, you know, a conversation I had today was, I just don't know. It's more like who won't be there. I truthfully believe we're going to have the majority of the European and, and, and American running world at this early season event, which is really exciting. Uh, it's, it's truthfully feels that way. That is wild. And as a sort of offer uh, for, for people who want to sort of tune in and watch, that is pretty pretty tantalizing and obviously yeah you're right I mean it's all very kind of the fields are all very last minute and I imagine between we're recording this a couple of weeks before it's going to be going out I imagine between now and up to May 6 your inbox is going to be pretty pretty full with lots of sort of requests up and up until now until the meet it'll be it'll get interesting usually you know as events build steam and as we you know we will be putting out fields in the next couple of weeks and we're going to be doing a lot of content on social media around who's racing and rivalries and matchups and, you know, whatnot. But I think um, where it gets interesting is as soon as there's a big name or a, a fast field, then everybody wants in that race. And so that's why I think things move around so much late in the game is 
if a um, certain field looks really enticing, an athlete might jump from this race to this race. or So that ends up being where the inbox goes crazy. And I love you mentioned you touched on rivalries there. And I think that's that's uh, another tenant, I think, of what makes for compelling viewing. And I think it's about and we're not talking about just being outright sort of nasty. It's storytelling, isn't it? It's about creating mm-hmm. a sort of compelling narrative. Like, is that something you consider as well, given your kind of background in, in marketing as well, when you're sort of curating these events? Are you wanting to write narratives for the audience as much as put on an event that's also exciting for people who are there in the flesh. Yeah, that's our big goal this time around is to is to bring the fans along on that early on. Um, so we, you know, we have a bunch of stuff coming out where you know, we're talking to athletes about their goals and who they want to race. And as we start to build these fields up, going back and looking at some of these rivalries, like, okay, the last three times these people have matched up, it's been down to the sprint, you know, or lifetime, this person is five in three versus this one. Um, And we've seen that both indoors and outdoors, we've seen rivalries manifest and keep coming year after year. And I think we have to tell that story and we need more and more of it in a perfect world we'd be set up where uh, an Ollie Hoare and a Josh Kerr would have to race uh, five times a year because it'd be amazing storylines, right? You know, stuff like that is where we hope the sport moves. And, um, but if we give people opportunities and we set up good races, it'll happen. Uh, And so, yeah, we're definitely big on building that up because kind of the, um, the other sports that you see do really well in our broadcast model are people that, do a good job of building up rivalries. There's a lot of talking back and forth between the different groups. Fans get to weigh in and it creates this bubble of excitement where even if you're a peripheral fan, you start to go, okay, I've heard too much about this. These people have been going, talking a lot. We, I got to watch this. We need more of that. Yeah, a hundred percent. And do you think as well, like that building those narratives, building those, those rivalries, when that sort of, begins to gather steam is that what makes these kind of things more sustainable and perpetuates it and almost makes your job a little bit easier there's less heavy lifting on your side of things where it's actually the narrative kind of takes over and it's like yeah you have to less you have to do less sort of stuff on the ground to kind of bring these things to fruition yeah i mean there was a good one before our last event the 10 Joe Klecker and Woody Kincaid had had a really good battle indoors where they both broke 13 minutes, both ran amazing races. It was a battle. It was a race. And so when they were going to meet up again over 10,000 meters, we didn't have to say anything. Everybody was already like, oh, this is going to be a big deal. And it turned out to be a big deal. And then afterwards, most of the conversation um, was about that rivalry. And I think those two guys, you know, you put them in the same room and they, they love each other, but on the track, they want to beat each other. And I love that. And I, I think track needs a lot of that. And, but it is nice when the rivalries exist and we don't have to like make it up. It's just there. Mm. Um, and I think that happens if there's good opportunities and if people race enough, um, which both those people did indoors, they raced a lot. They went head to head. They weren't afraid of it which is also a huge piece of making that happen. Mm. Athletes racing and going head to head on purpose, like kudos to those guys for, for doing that. Mm. Yeah. hundred percent. And leaning into the, the, the narrative of that rivalry and embracing it for, 
for the potential, uh, not just for themselves in terms of competition, but also for everyone else watching. I think it's a it's a huge thing. And just listening to you describe it, it's already getting me really excited about the event on May the 6th. And obviously this is going out to a lot of audiences in the UK, but there are US listeners as well. Shout out to you guys who tune in every week. But yeah. how do people watch this event? Is there a way for people who can't maybe get to it that they can sit down and enjoy this sort of spectacle that you've been working so hard on over the past couple of months? Yeah, no. So I think this is where, um, you know, we've, we've done a lot of different things with streaming over the years and we have great partners that we work with. Um, this one specific event we do differently where we work with Tracklandia, which is a group that we all kind of start working together during the pandemic, trying to figure out how do we even like stream this how can we do this on our own? Cause we didn't, you know, we didn't have the budget or we, you know, we're just trying new things. And through so many conversations, we ended up on this like model where we do pay-per-view and which works really, really well in a couple other sports that are, I think, similar. Um, they build up matchups and we do a pay-per-view and it helps us do something which is very unique in our sport, which is we have a revenue share with the athletes. So uh, the pay-per-view usually costs like $5.99 and, you know, we get hit with a fee from the site and then our broadcast partner takes a, a small fee, but $4 of every $5.99 goes to the athlete prize purse. And so it's such an incentive, not only for fans to feel like I paid this, but it's going, I mean, I don't think there's a sport on the planet that has a, that high of a revenue share. I don't know what percentage that is, but not, there's no TV deal giving that percentage of revenue to athletes. And so granted, we're small, so we can do that. But um, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty lucky for us to be able to do that. And that's kind of where we are. That will be, we'll have links to all that stuff on our website, soundrunning.run backslash trackfest. And it's, uh, it'll be through Trackland. It'll be on their site, but we'll have all those links. The site should be honestly ready for people to start purchasing pay-per-view probably in the next week or so. So our goal was to give a solid month where people can get excited and start buying the pay-per-view and, and honestly, to be able to show people, all right, the prize purse is now up to here and now to here and now to here. And so gives athletes that incentive. I love that. I love that idea. And I love that idea of giving the audience, like letting them sort of stake their own equity in the event and getting that pot to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So they just know how much is on the line for when the athletes tow the line. I love that, that idea of sort of shared equity and shared investment in something that you're, you're passionate about. And the passion is, is so clear from yourself and you, it's so clear to see that you're, you're really kind of excited about this event and I'm excited about this event. I'm certainly excited to, to watch it. And that feels like a, a lovely point to, to end our, our conversation on. Jesse, thank you so much for, for taking the time to, to come on the podcast. And I, and I wish you all the best with your lovely, soft, smooth hands to have a successful yeah. <laughs> event on the 6th of May. No, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. And uh, we'll have to get you all the way over here for, uh, for this event one year. Listeners, that is a verbal contract. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> A huge thank you to Jesse for sitting down with us. You can find out more about TrackFest by following the links in today's show notes. And the headline act for the event will be US rapper Kyle. The field is looking ridiculously stacked. It's definitely going to be one to remember. 
Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe from wherever you get your podcasts to get the latest episode downloaded as soon as it drops and follow us on Instagram for what's coming up as the OTN series continues. On tomorrow's episode... I legitimately remember hearing the crowd roaring the last 100 meters and actually feeling like it made a difference in my ability to kick. I'll see you then for the big run.